You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way, as it's a beautiful, sunny morning here on the weekend to get ready for, to play the South Carolina Gamecocks here. It'll be a big game tonight. Um, I, I cannot be there. We've got a wedding with a friend of ours, um, one of my best friend's sons getting married, but I know uh, Neyland Stadium will be rocking tonight. A lot of stuff's going on. Um, we've got announcements of where we may end up with Social Security benefits for 2024. And what does that mean in terms of cost of living adjustments? What does that mean for your filing strategy? Important things to consider and to be careful you do not overlook when you elect your Social Security strategy. We'll also talk about the, the prospect of a government shutdown, it's looking more and more likely that that's going to happen on Monday. And how can you prepare financially for a government shutdown? How does that likely to affect you now and in the future? Also, we'll talk about the attractiveness of higher interest rates and how should you be incorporating that into your financial plan. And... What is the Federal Reserve likely to do? Are we likely to keep higher rates for longer? What's the impact of inflation? All of those things. So there's a lot going on. So we'll talk about the impact today of how that may affect you as you plan uh, for your financial future. Let's just kind of dive right in. We have announcement, uh, an estimate of what the cost of living adjustment is likely to be for Social Security next year. Now, last year, of course, it was 8.7%, which was one of the highest. I believe it was the highest in 40 years. According to the Senior Citizens League, they're expecting the new estimate on the Social Security cost of living adjustment is 3.2%. And... According to the, uh, the Senior Citizens League, the average retiree Social Security benefit is $1,790. So let's just figure $1,800. And the benefit will go up by about $57 a month. But whatever your benefit is, it's 3.2%. Now that's much lower than last year, but it is higher than the annual average over the last 20 years, which is 2.6%. Now, before you factor in the estimated 3.2% boost that you may get in your benefits in 2024, there are, I think, three things to keep in mind here. And then how should, you, should this impact your planning? One is the official 2024 cost of living adjustment, COLA, 
is typically revealed in October, so next month. The Senior Citizens League estimate of 3.2% is based on consumer price index data through August. Uh, the official COLA will be announced by the Social Security Administration in October, and it will include data from July, August, and September, uh, including urban wage earners, clerical workers, things like that. So according to the Senior Citizens League, there's about a 60% chance cost of living adjustment will be 3.2%. Could be a little higher, could be a little lower, but at least it gives us a ballpark. Now, inflation in the last 12 months has averaged closer to 3.7% according to the latest consumer price CPI data. And for the, you know, I meet with folks like yourself every week in my office, and most of our clients tell us, Jim, our costs are going up faster than 3.7%, especially when you go to the grocery store. So, you know, that, there, there's a lot of debate. How do they calculate the cost of living adjustment? How is the consumer price index calculated? Bottom line, there were changes to the formula for cost of living adjustment after the Great Recession of 2008. And so... The Social Security cost of living adjustment, those adjustments make the increases year to year lower than they otherwise would have been. Now, as we all know, Social Security is not in a great spot. We're, we're projected to run out of money with the Social Security Trust Fund in about 10 years, and then Social Security will only cover will only cover uh, about 77, 78% of the projected liabilities. So there's been a lot of talk in Washington about how to adjust Social Security. And one of the things that has been discussed is changing the cost of living adjustment to have more of an emphasis on the types of things you experience when you're actually retired. Where are you spending your money and how much is inflation impacting you? We have yet to see how that'll play out, but that's kind of what we're talking about for 2024, something in that range of 3.2%. Now, the, the next thing to consider, number two, is Medicare Part B premium increases. You know, they're typically, you have those deducted directly from your Social Security check if you're drawing Social Security. And so, consequently, the size of those premiums affects how much of your net take-home pay you receive from Social Security. The Medicare trustees have projected that the average monthly premium for 2024 will go up about $10 a month. Now, that is a 6% increase in the Medicare Part B premium. So we've got the cost of living adjustment is expected to go up about 3.2%, yet the Medicare premium is expected to go up 6%. Uh, now, we won't know until later this fall. The Medicare trustees will announce the official rate in November. But, you know, that's just something to keep in mind because over time, you're probably, because of the way Medicare premium works, the way cost of living adjustments are calculated, 
your Social Security income is not likely to keep up with inflation, which I'll come back to in just a second. But the third tip that I think you need to be aware of is think twice before rushing to collect your Social Security benefits. Many times people think that if, like for the 8.7% this year, if you don't go ahead and claim, you're not going to get that 8.7% increase. Actually, everybody gets that increase. If you're delaying your benefit, then your expected future benefit does did go up 8.7% this year. You know, if you look at your Social Security statement that you can get online at socialsecurity.gov, you know, if you look at that, it literally adjusted 8.7%. All those projections for age 62, full retirement age, age 70, they went up 8.7%. If the cost of living adjustment for next year is 3.2%, if you're drawing benefits, yours will go up 3.2%. But if you're not drawing benefits, you'll still see your projected Social Security, basically your earnings base, your full retirement age benefit will go up 3.2%. So be careful. Don't rush out to file for Social Security because you feel like you've got to jump in on this cost of living adjustment because the reality is it affects all of us. We all get the benefit from that. Now then I want to come full circle around to this inflationary idea that in spite of the increases we've seen the last few years, Social Security over the years has not kept up with cost of living. It has not kept up with inflation. According to that same Senior Citizens League, if you were drawing your Social Security benefit in 2000, today in 2023, even with all the cost of living adjustments, you've lost about a third of your purchasing power. Now think about that. That is an astounding number. Let's take that forward. That means that if you're drawing Social Security today, let's say you draw today and it's your benefit is three thousand. I'm just use round numbers. Let's say it's three thousand a month. That means in twenty-two or twenty-three years, when you're eighty-five or eighty-seven, even with all of the cost of living adjustments. It'll be the equivalent of you're now drawing 2000 a month because of inflation and not being able to completely keep up with inflation. Plus, you've got the added problem of the Medicare premiums. As I just discussed, it's expected to go up almost double at 6% for next year. So what does that mean for you? Number one, there is something to be said for those credits you get when you delay your Social Security benefit. When you delay to full retirement age and into age 70, full retirement age to age 70 is an 8% per year increase plus whatever the cost of living adjustments are. So those that 8% per year is a great way to fight inflation. And that again, that's on top of the cost of living adjustment. People are living longer and longer lives. When, they, when Social Security came up with the tables to determine what's your benefit at 62, what's your benefit at full retirement age, what's your benefit at 70, and they looked at the changes and how much you get an increase if you delay your benefit, how much are you penalized if you draw early, those were come up, came, they came up with that in the 1980s. 
40 years ago. Well, people are living a lot longer lives now. So when they came out with these tables in the, in the 1980s, they came out with them as a calculation of where will Social Security break even, where it doesn't really matter when people draw, whether you draw early and your neighbor draws late. By the time you put in tens and hundreds of thousands and millions of people and you have the law of large numbers, it'll all balance out for the Social Security fund. But it's, that was 40 years ago. People are living a lot longer today, which means by assumption, if you can afford to delay your benefit, you're going to, you know, more than likely over the, the rule of, of, of large numbers across the entire retirement population, people are going to come out ahead if they can delay their benefit. Now, um, that, that's not true for everyone. You know, number one, can you afford to delay your benefit? And what about spousal and widow benefits and things like that? So, uh, and, and we've done shows on Social Security. We'll do more shows on Social Security in the future. The thing I really want to impress right now is Social Security, even with the cost of living adjustments, is not likely to keep up with the true cost of inflation. It has not in the past. And so over time, you're going to need to depend more and more on your own savings. One other way to combat that is to delay your benefit if you can afford to, and as long as you're not giving up some sort of a widow or spousal benefit, because all that stuff has to be factored in. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about the expectation of a government shutdown on Monday. What does that mean for you and me? What should you be doing to plan for it both now and in the future? So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. Check us out online, broganfinancial.com. You can download and podcast all of our shows. Either go to broganfinancial.com and click on radio. They're all right there. Or you can uh, go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you can download or, or you can download our podcasts and listen to all of them. Um, let's talk about the effect of the government shutdown. How do you need to financially prepare for a government shutdown? Now, it's on us. Tomorrow is October 1st. So what do we need to be thinking right now, and then how can we better prepare in the future? The new fiscal year for the government begins tomorrow, October 1. Lawmakers have not yet enacted all of the bills that will set discretionary spending levels. And so this means that if they are unable to provide the funding for the upcoming fiscal year, many U.S. government services could be affected. While some essential jobs may continue, other workers might be furloughed until a resolution is found. You know, when a government shutdown occurs, your budget could be affected in a bunch of different ways. One, you might see first few to no changes in certain areas, such as getting your Social Security paycheck, or if you're getting a government pension. Those things are typically not affected. 
other segments could have more intense consequences. Things like delays in travel, uh, a delay in application approvals for whatever that would be. What if you're applying for Social Security or applying for Medicare? What if you're applying for a U.S. passport? You could see more delays with those kinds of things. The exact implications will depend on many factors and will be based on the agreements that Congress makes or doesn't make in the next few days. So let's just kind of talk through the impact of this. One, what really makes a government shutdown? You know, it happens when policymakers, Congress, are unable to enact legislation that will fund the federal government for the next fiscal year. And since that begins October 1st, that is upon us. During a government shutdown, non-essential U.S. government offices typically close until funding is renewed. And then essential services, things like public safety, remain in operation. Each federal agency comes up with its own shutdown plan. This means that you may notice some government services continue, but in a restricted way. Now, we see government shutdowns seem like it happens every couple of years, right? So what can you be doing to prepare for this in the future, and how, how could it impact you in the next couple of weeks? We don't know if this will get resolved by, by Monday, when will it get resolved if it is resolved? I mean, they'll resolve this. Is it going to take two or three days? Is it going to take two or three weeks? We just don't know. Number one, check your emergency fund reserve. There could be changes to interest rates when a shutdown occurs, including a spike in rates if the stock market were to take a dive. So consider squirreling away enough extra cash now, we're already there. If you don't have your emergency funds get squirreled away, you could have an issue. Moving forward, always be thinking, hey, if you could build up to six months worth of living expenses to potentially handle things and also take advantage of opportunities. Let's be honest. Whatever the markets do over these next few days or weeks, I mean, if history is our guide, they're going to get this thing solved. We just don't know how long it'll take. And we don't know what that new budget will look like. But it will, they'll, they'll pass a budget at some point, and the markets will stabilize. That can also lead to investment opportunities, but for investment opportunities, you have to have, in many cases, you have to have cash. Now then also look at your government payment needs. In past shutdowns, government benefits have continued. Understanding eligibility criteria for things like Social Security and government assistance that you may rely on is very important. It's possible that certain processes will be paused during a shutdown. So not your actual checks from Social Security or pension, but there could be a, a delay in processes. That means if you're eligible for Medicare or Social Security, you may not be able to get your benefit verified with the government. You know, when there was a shutdown in 1995 and 1996, Medicare applicants were temporarily turned away. And Social Security re requests might not be reviewed until the shutdown stops. 
you could also see a delay in things like tax refunds. So if you're in a tight spot, you know, you might could look at other places for help. There are some nonprofit and community-based organizations that offer assistance during government shutdowns. Uh, there are civic groups, senior citizens, food banks, thrift stores, things like that. Now, ideally, though, we build up some emergency cash reserves and we have a good plan. Now, another good idea is to review your travel plans. You know, in previous shutdowns, national parks have halted visitor entry or, 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 temp, or suspended their services. In 2018 and 2019, when the government paused its funding, some places remained open. However, visitors did not receive services inside the parks. So they could get in the park, but then there were no services. And that might be okay, but it may not. So you just need to be aware of the potential implications. Now, in addition, there are often extra delays at airports, and there were certainly significant impacts on that in the 2018-2019 shutdown. This was due to the shortages related to the Transportation Security Administration and its agents, TSA. In their absence, fewer security checkpoints were open and travelers had to wait longer than usual in longer lives. Excuse me, longer lines. So just be aware if you're traveling, you're probably going to see some delays. They're going to be understaffed, probably going to be frustrating, so allow extra time. Now then hold back on large purchases if you can. Reduce your non-essential spending. Eat out less. This will keep your reserves intact, could prevent you from over-leveraging your finances. And then once the government resumes and the market stabilizes, you can decide how to move forward with your plans. Now then finally revisit your long-term financial plan. You know, this is just a good reminder that a long-term financial plan, it considers things like what happens in the short term with things like government shutdowns? I mean, we, we don't know when or why or how things are going to happen in the future, but we do know that over time things happen. We see bear markets where the stock market goes down more than 20%. We also see market booms. So far year to date, the U.S. stock market's up. Uh, the S&P 500 is, is up double digits. The Dow Jones is up single digits. But we just never know when, we're in the, when one market cycle is going to stop and one is going to begin. We know that the one certainty we have with the stock market is uncertainty. I guess we really have two. The other one is volatility. So now is a good reminder to spend time evaluating your portfolio and the different risk levels of your investments and when you may need to draw from those investments because time horizon, when you will need the money, is such a critical component of a financial plan. Now, if you're working and your job faces uncertainty due to a government shutdown, you may want to look for other ways to bring in cash. So diversify your income. You could employ, you know, you could look for part-time work. You could look for side gigs to provide an additional financial safety net. But being proactive with your financial plan and looking at your, 
need, you know, what, what would your short-term emergency needs be like and what are your long-term needs and, and fighting inflation and things like that. It's just a great time to reevaluate your financial planning, whether you're 15 years from retirement, three years from retirement, or you're already retired. It's a great reminder to sit down and do those things. We don't know how long this will take to resolve itself. I think the one thing that I hear from you in the community when I'm out and about or when I'm teaching a class, the biggest thing I hear is everybody's frustrated with Washington. We are very broken in our system. Uh, so we can't, you know, we can't control what happens there other than being involved in, in, in being active in our election processes, but we can, we can invest with a short and long-term financial plan. I do want you to check out the next class I'll be teaching is through Pellissippi State Community College, Thrive Financially in Retirement. It's on October 17th and 24th, so it's coming up here just a couple of weeks from Tuesday. It'll be two successive Tuesday evenings um, and, and in two two-hour sessions at 6.30. I'll cover seven primary areas I think everybody needs to know about retirement and thriving in your retirement. Uh, you can find out more information. Go to my website, broganfinancial.com, and click on Classes. You can also go to PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com. And I would love to see you there. Again, it's October 17th and 24th. The course fee is $59. There is a discounted fee for the spouse. Uh, I think it's $89 for a husband and a wife. Now, what about interest rates? The Federal Reserve had a recent announcement of their view of interest rates. Are we, are we likely to see relief anytime soon? And how can you be taking advantage of this higher interest rate environment? How does this factor into your financial planning? Stay with us. We'll have that and more here on More Living with Jim Brogan. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in today to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I do again want to mention the class at Pellissippi State Community College. It's coming up two weeks from Tuesday, so that is October the 17th and the 24th. It is a two-night class. You can go to PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com to find out more. You can download a syllabus, and you can click to register. It's two two-hour sessions, and I will be um, covering seven key areas. You can also find out all of our upcoming classes, including through the University of Tennessee, at my website, broganfinancial.com. Click on Classes. Now, what's going on with interest rates, and how can you use this to your advantage? You know, the higher interest rates, which, are, which have been caused primarily with higher inflation, is difficult for expansion of businesses grow, things like that, because cost of capital has gone up so much. But from in terms of the investment climate, while yes, it, 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 it gives us a higher target that we have to hit with inflation, with beating inflation on our investments, 
it also provides more opportunities uh, from an investment side. So what are we seeing right now with interest rates? What has the Federal Reserve said? They just had a, an announcement this week. And what does that mean for you moving forward? The recent Fed meeting brought an update to the 2024 median for the federal funds rate. In other words, where do the people on the committee think that the Fed funds rate is going to go the rest of this year and next year? Bottom line, they've telegraphed we're going to have one more quarter of a percent increase in 2023. And then at some point next year, through the end of the year, we're likely to see two rate cuts next year. Now, prior to that meeting, more people were, they were projecting four rate cuts in 2024. So in other words, what's happening is the economy has proven to be very resilient in the face of these rate increases. Corporate profitability has continued to be strong in the face of the rate increases. So the Fed is still worried about inflation. So they're having to keep rates higher and for longer than has been expected. Now, I've been talking about this really for six or eight months. I, I, I kind of felt like it's very unlikely we'll see rate cuts in 2023. And sure enough, that, that's probably not gonna happen. We're probably gonna see another increase. And now they're saying maybe two decreases in 2024. And the rate, I think, for the federal funds rate is projected to really come back down in 2025. Now, we don't know. It's an unknown. And if we look at the Fed's, uh, if we look at their accuracy with predictions, it's very poor. So, you know, the, the, the forecasting reliability looking at members of the Fed has proven to be of very, very little value historically. Now, that said, the data is important in terms of understanding rates will probably be higher for longer. So the, the Fed currently seems interested in gathering more data before they make a move. Now, in regard to employment, the Fed lowered the median unemployment rate to peak at 4.1%. In other words, they've lowered where they think unemployment is going to peak. They've rate, lowered it from 4.5% down to 4.1%, which kind of indicates even more of an idea that the Fed will be able to get their soft landing. But if we think about all of this, what it really means is that the economy is expected at some point to slow down more. Will we see recession? We don't know. Economists are largely split on that. It's about 50-50 now. Those that expect recession at some point versus those that don't. Just a couple of months ago, it was more 70-30. 70% of economists were expecting we will see recession. So we just don't know, but I do expect the economy, as we end this year and head into next year, I do expect it to continue uh, to decline some. Does that mean we'll slip into recession status maybe next year? We just don't know. Um, also, be careful with how you react to the stock market because 
just because the economy slows down does not mean that we will see the stock market go down. Those two things are really not correlated at all. And the reason for that is the stock market is a forward-looking indicator. It's always looking at where will we be in six to nine months, not where are we today. But we are seeing global increases in interest rates, not just in the United States, but everywhere. Interest rates are up in Germany, they're up in Australia, they're up in Italy, they're up in Sweden, they're up everywhere. And one of the big reasons for this is wage inflation. That's really the bottom line, is workers are continuing to make more money, and so they're continuing to be able to spend money and, and generate economic growth. Now, as I said, economic growth has slowed down some. But it is still growing, and it has been very, very persistent in the face of these rate increases. And it's primarily, in my view, because of, uh, because of wage inflation. Now, higher rates eventually have to slow, slow down economic growth. Okay? So, ultimately, what does this mean for you and me? It means there are opportunities from an investment perspective. The average online savings account is now 4.39%, according to depositaccounts.com. You know, short-term investments like money markets and CDs can really play a role in your portfolio. Now, it may be difficult to build a longer-term portfolio allocation around them because short-term rates can fluctuate as monetary policy changes. So we can't count on rates being where they are today for a long time. But we can take advantage of them in the meantime. So how can you be taking advantage of this? You can be getting close to 5.5% on three, six, and 12-month CDs and U.S. Treasury bills. Uh, U.S. Treasury bills are backed by the federal government. CDs, you would definitely want to stay within the FDIC insurance guidelines, which is $250,000 per taxpayer per bank. So if you have a joint account at the bank with your spouse, it would be a $500,000 limit. But with what happened in March with the banking crisis, I do think you need to stay within the FDIC guidelines. So there's, there's really not much of a reward to go out and buy an uninsured bond or something like that to try to earn a little bit more when you can make almost 5.5% in a CD or, or a Treasury bill. So ladders, income ladders, CD ladders are a great way to take advantage of that. You maybe buy a 6-month, a 12-month, an 18-month, and a 24-month CD. Now, the 24-month CD right now is paying less than the 12-month because the market expects interest rates to go down. So in 15 months, you won't be able to get the same kind of rate as you're getting now. And that's why the two-year CD is paying less. Why would you put money in a two-year CD if it's paying less than a one-year CD? Because you might be very happy in 15 months. You're still earning that 5.1% rate because you can't get it anymore. So a ladder where you spread out your maturities is a great way to hedge because if rates continue to go up some, then every so often, every six months in this scenario, you've got a CD that's coming due that you can reinvest at a higher rate. 
Likewise, if interest rates drop, you've got some CDs that you're holding on to longer that have a higher rate, and you can redeploy your capital with other types of opportunities. So it gives you a lot of liquidity and options. Now, income ladders are also a great way to fund income in those first four or five years of retirement, maybe even six or seven years of retirement. In other words, the income you're going to need a year from now could be in a one-year CD because you don't want to live on investments that go up and down in value every day and every week and every month because you can't depend on it. And the last thing you want to do when the market is inevitably down is have to sell off shares of an investment in order to generate income because you will compound your losses. That money will never come back because it's been spent. And that's one of the fundamental rules of wealth management is don't realize, let me rephrase that, don't spend an investment loss. It's okay to sell something when it's down and reinvest, but you never want to sell it when it's down and spend it. Doing a ladder of CDs and treasuries, these types of instruments, are a great opportunity to fund income and in the meantime be making close to a 5.5% interest rate. Now then that does beg, well Jim, what about the stock market? What about other at-risk investments? Is it worth investing in at-risk investments when interest rates are at close to 5.5% for short term. At-risk investments, particularly the stock market, plays an important role in portfolios. For the last 40 years, net growth from cash and other short-term instruments like CDs and treasuries is zero after subtracting inflation and taxes. Those vehicles, while they look good at 5.5% now, those are short-term and they change quickly when interest rates change. And so over time, they do not keep up with inflation, by the, especially when you factor in inflation and also income taxes on your gains. Now, for longer growth to beat inflation, the markets are what have allowed us long-term to beat inflation. But with that, there is a price we pay, and that price is short-term volatility. So we just need a plan where we're not depending on those investments in the short term. So it may be sensible to position your next four or five years of cash reserves for income planning in low-risk, high-yield cash instruments and buckets like CDs and treasuries. But over the longer term, I think you're going to be better benefited to stay diversified, rebalanced, buying low into stocks and bonds for their long-term retirement accounts and not give up on potential gains around the turnover of the next bull or bear market. So risk-free can still be risky. Time is a crucial factor when considering longer-term investing. The longer your horizon, the more you can benefit from the market's historical tendency to recover from declines and deliver substantial returns over the long haul. But there is a price, and it is short-term volatility. So in your financial plan for your income needs over the next five years, four to five years minimum, if, if not six or seven years, you should not be depending on your at-risk market investments. Now, when we come back, I'm actually going to dive into the cost of energy 
And where are we headed in terms of our dependence on oil? I think you're going to be really surprised with some of the numbers uh, that have come out of late. So we're going to talk about that and the impact on us as we move forward in the next five or ten years. Stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan. Check us out at broganfinancial.com. We have a, just a, a, wor- a wealth of resources there that we'd like you to be able to consume. Uh, you can click on our resources tab. We also have a, our, our podcast. If you click on the radio tab, we have our blogs that we publish every week. Uh, the, our, our goal here at the, station, at the studio uh, you know, with this radio show and with what we do at Brogan Financial is to give you great information so you can make informed and prudent decisions that can impact the quality of your life. And if you're wanting a guide to help you with those decisions and, you know, to kind of help drive the train or be the co-pilot, that's what we do at Brogan Financial. We are a fee-based fiduciary, and uh, we are looking uh, to help anyone in the East Tennessee market that would like help. Now, interestingly enough, where is energy consumption and oil consumption expected to go in the next 20 or 30 years. And historically, how expensive is oil really? Well, interestingly enough, there was a survey recently from the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, and they interviewed 137 oil and gas executives. And this was earlier this month. They interviewed these 137 oil and gas executives. Now, on the one hand, yes, they're in the oil and gas industry. So there's somewhat of a conflict there. But on, another, in, on the other side, they know that industry. And they interviewed them and said, what will consumption be like in the year 2050? So 27 years from now, will energy consumption be higher, about the same, or lower? Believe it or not, over 25% in the, of the responders actually sorry, almost 30% believe there will be a slight increase, and over 20% believe there will be a significant increase in oil and gas production 27 years from now. It's only about 8% of those surveyed expect a significant decrease in oil and gas consumption. Now, there were close to 25% that expected a slight decrease in energy consumption. But what this is saying is overwhelmingly, executives at energy and gas firms in the United States in in September that were polled and and surveyed believe that energy consumption will be at worst a little bit less than now, if not as much or even a good bit more. So I think that's really easy and what it tells us is that you know, energy transitions to alternative services is likely going to take decades. Now, these executives could all be wrong, but it's likely going to take decades, okay? Um, And then the price of oil, 
how expensive is it really? We look at the price of gasoline, but the reality is we should be looking at the in, the uh, price of gasoline as compared to our income, and it's actually pretty low compared to where we were 15 years ago. But unfortunately, I'm out of time. Thank you for tuning in this week. We've discussed your, your wealth because greater wealth provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thank you for tuning in. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.